Hello everyone and welcome back to the Linux Gaming News Punch, although we're not really sure quite what we're calling this one, a co-op news punch, the goal podcast, don't really know. This is Liam and I know it's been a long time since we did any kind of podcast, not since late 2019, but we're back, sort of. This episode is a bit different, it's going to be co-op and I am joined by my partner in crime, Samzai, how's it going? Oh, it's it's going quite well. How are you on this fine lockdown day? Oh, it's uh, it's actually going pretty well for me. Like, lockdown hasn't really affected my life too much because I'm studying and I can do all of my computer science studying remotely. So it's actually going quite fantastic. No obligations to go anywhere. I can I can just like sit inside all day long and nobody can judge me for it. It's amazing. That sounds exactly like my life. Sit at home. <laughs> Work on gaming on Linux and never go anywhere. Okay, yeah, lockdown is pretty normal for me, really. (laughs) So we decided together that we were just going to bring back the podcast in some form and just have a bit of a rant, basically, didn't we? Yeah, kind of. It's a good outlet for that kind of stuff. So there's a number of topics that we decided for this first special co-op episode that we're going to chat through. The first one is something big, massive even, that happened in the games industry. It's where Microsoft bought ZeniMax. So they now own Bethesda, ID Software, and many more. So that's Doom and everything. And there's been a lot of chat out there about how that affects Linux gaming and Vulkan. There's been a lot of people doing sort of rather sensationalist topics on this. Yes, with silly faces and thumbnails. Yeah. Now, there's been some people, I won't name them, but there's been some people who are going out there saying this could be really bad news for Linux gaming. And uh, I can't help but laugh at people that say things like that because none of this, this Microsoft buyout of ZeniMax, none of it really matters. None of those developers and publishers supported Linux in any way. I mean, to ZeniMax's like credits, they 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 did contribute to Linux gaming in one way, which is they never sued the OpenMW project. But I mean, that's like an incredibly low bar. So yeah, I mean, they haven't really done anything for us. We not, have not even ID has done anything for us recently. Not really, apart from using Vulkan. Yeah. Apart from using Vulkan, id software, id is it id? Is it id? How it's you... id. It's it's id like you know ego and id and all of that stuff. Id, right? Yeah. Okay, today I'll learn. <laughs> At least that's what that's what like how I've like heard other people say. It. I think it's like supposed to be id, just like ego and id. Well, fair enough. So yeah. they were the only ones then actually using Vulkan. So then. The only way this matters really for Linux is about the Vulkan side of it, about open APIs. But are they suddenly going to jump ship over to a completely different graphics API? I don't think they will. No, and like, honestly, I don't think like Microsoft has enough interest in ZeniMax's business. And I don't think ZeniMax has enough interest in its business to suddenly like start forcing like DX12 on the the id tech developers because like it, it seems like the id tech developers are doing like a good job on their own i mean 
like a managerial overreach is not a complete impossibility, but it seems a little bit like weird. Yeah, because a graphics API is such a massive thing, and especially for id, who have been a long supporter and user of OpenGL, and then they moved over to Vulcan Folly. They're not just going to suddenly jump ship. So even when thinking about it on just that side of things, it really doesn't affect much at all. Hmm. I mean, unless, I mean, there is the one like kind of conspiracy theory going around that I saw a little bit of, which is like now that Microsoft owns ZeniMax, they can force all of ZeniMax's games to be Xbox exclusives. In that case, I mean, obviously they wouldn't be using Vulkan because no Vulkan on Xbox. But like that also sounds a little bit like, sounds a little bit too big. And I don't know if like Microsoft would actually be making their money back from that. They might be doing some like, timed exclusivity or something like that or i don't know maybe they will get it to work on their like own like homegrown projects or something or maybe they're just like buying studios just to have studios because honestly corporations don't necessarily always you know make sense yeah it could be just a tax (laughs) (laughs) write-off yeah i wouldn't put it past them but i think it's largely to do with things like game pass that they're building up this massive library games and they're going to have more and more first parties in that to suck people in but that is a topic we'll get onto a bit later so we've got the sort of bad news that isn't really news out of the way onto something Mm. a bit brighter what is the best linux game that you've played recently go so i started playing through the uh the talos principle um uh dlc road to gehenna Recently, I started playing that on my live streams, and oh my god, the Talos Principle is amazing. It's like my one of my favorite games of all time. It's so freaking great, like very nice puzzles. The world is like fantastic. I love the philosophical aspects of it. And Road to Gehenna just like seemingly builds upon kind of all of that, and I just love it. It's fantastic. It is an absolutely amazing first person puzzle game it is probably one of the best yeah i, w- I would say I-, I would i would rank that above like both of the portal games really yeah i would seriously wow that is that is some serious high praise because the portal games are like universally loved aren't they yeah they are I, but like like I-, I think that in some ways like the portal games like they maybe like on the gameplay side they might win out a little bit um, but, uh, like, Talos Principle is kind of, like, uh, more thoughtful, like, particularly, like, a lot of people gloss over the, the, the terminals in the Talos Principle. If you play Talos Principle, please don't. Just, like, take in all of the stuff that is on the terminals, the world, all of the characters that appear. Like, it's actually, like, a great story kind of hiding underneath, like, the, the kind of, like, puzzle gamey exterior. Yeah. I've I've played quite a lot of it. I don't think I actually finished it in the end, but it was really, really good. It does get quite complicated as well, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the recorder puzzles towards the end, those are particularly tough. I still have like trouble figuring them out. Um but like I, I would say that it is definitely worth the uh, the effort that it takes to actually get to the end. Well, I have been going back through one of my favorites, it's Streets of Rogue, the 2D sort of top-down 
sort of open world. It's it's kind of hard to describe, isn't it? It's like an action roguelite. It's a bit of everything. Yeah, action roguelite sounds like the best description for it, yeah. But it's so good that just all the craziness that happens. So you go through all these different floors and then across a few different biomes and all the madness that happens is just insane. I've been going through with my son and playing it in local co-op. Streets of Rogue is absolutely amazing in local co-op. So you get to pick those different characters and you get to unlock more as you do things as well. But getting my son to be the gorilla running around causing chaos whilst I'm the hacker person and I'm just hacking into everything, opening (laughs) doors here and there. And it's just, it's insane. I absolutely love it. I cannot say enough good words about Streets of Rogue. And they're making a sequel. Oh, really? Yeah. And he's he's said what he's going to be doing with it is he's going to make it bigger, much bigger. It's going to be like way more open world rather than these small open environments. So it's going to be a bit like a massive open world by the sounds of it. Hmm. I'm going to be interested to see how that turns out. I'm, I'm not entirely sure if like... I'm personally like sold on necessarily b- making the world bigger. Uh, I don't think like the world being big was the thing that kind of like made Streets of Rogue what it is. Um, I think like the personally to me like the most important thing about Streets of Rogue were these like uh, in-game like the world interactions that like kind of happened like semi-organically. So you'd have like these different groups of people that would like react differently to one another and then you could like kind of uh using the various gameplay mechanics you could set up these very kind of uh, elaborate schemes yeah streets of rogues ai systems and how everything just causes constant chaos is really the hook of it where you can just you can run around and hire people to then go and attack somebody else and like you have rival gangs walking around and there's there's all sorts of things like there's gorillas trapped in cages and you can like hack the server behind the building to let it out. And then it like runs around smashing everything. Mm. It's so good. Yeah, it was it was pretty hilarious when I played it in co-op, I think with you and uh, some other people on stream at some point. I haven't really played it much like since, but it was definitely nice to play in co-op. Yeah, great game. Now, talking about games, there's something that I wanted to speak about, which is game reservation and open source now there's been over the last year or so quite a few notable and interesting titles opened up their dirty little innards one of the big ones recently was the amnesia horror games both of them Mm -hmm. yeah kind of like they did the same thing as they did with the the penumbra games where they released the uh the source code for the uh the engine and uh all of the game specific stuffs I haven't really managed to, like, I tried to get it to build. Uh, I haven't quite figured out how to do that yet, but it's definitely awesome. And, uh, the, like, the, 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 like you mentioned, the game preservation side of that, like, I mean, just having that stuff be, like, open source, that's already a good thing on its own. But, like, one of the, like, I think personally, one of the most practical things I see of this, like, um, open sourcing and, you know, open source software in general is that, um, as long as you have the source code, you can basically get that thing to run anywhere, like regardless of how our operating systems change, how our hardware changes, like our graphics APIs change. 
as long as somebody like is interested in these titles, they can get them to work on like anything. Yeah, exactly. And that is is such an important thing because the people will debate this until the end of the earth. But games are obviously it's a form of art, and it it just it's such a shame when developers and publishers move on from titles and they never do anything with it again. They don't even update it so that, you know, even small updates to get it working smoother on newer operating systems. It's just so many things that a few people in the community could quite easily do if they would just open up the source. And in the case of Amnesia, it's the same with uh, titles like Delver, uh, Good Robot, and a few others that opened up their code. But the actual art and media, like audio, all those sort of assets, you still have to buy the game to get it. So they can't just be instantly ripped off, which mm-hmm. I think is what a lot of developers are worried about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a kind of like a, a fair fear, although it is largely unsubstantiated. Like um, the, the whole like um, concept of like open sourcing the game code, but also requiring you to have the game data like that goes back to like, like the uh, like late, I think it was like 90s, like you know, we have like the early cases of Doom, uh, followed up by Quakes and all of that stuff. And like, there hasn't really been like a case where, you know, developers have, to my knowledge, lost profits over this. It has probably just increased profits. Plus, like, considering like Doom was open sourced way back when, I mean, it's Doom is a relatively like simple case. You could easily run it in a, uh, in a DOS emulator or something like that. But like, when we start to get to like more complex things, um, you know, these, these games will be able to run on anything from, you know, old hardware to new hardware to computer platforms that never existed during those, you know, during the actual like, um, kind of like for sale lifespan of those games. So as long as somebody's like selling the the data files, like somebody can get like make money off of these games. It's free. It's free money for a developer. Yeah, pretty well, much. Well, no, not free money as in they don't have to do anything. I mean, they've obviously done something. They made the game. But my point is, they've moved on to do all these other things. A community of people are keeping it alive on the code. But then everyone who wants to use it then has to go and buy the actual game from them. That. It's just how to put it. It's just oh, if, if I'm like game, lost if, for if, words. If the game, yeah, like if if the game cannot be run, then there isn't going to be much demand for it. So as long as like somebody's keeping the game, you know, running, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You, you can like there's there still can be interest in buying the data files. So exactly. all the developers need to do is like have the code open and then keep selling the data files somewhere. In fact, I will give you an example of that theme hospital with the core 6th game engine the open source community made game engine so it's not even official i went and even though i bought years and years ago and lost it at some point the actual game on you know like a disc a cd disc way back when many years later well only about two years ago from our point of view now i went and bought theme hospital on gog good old games whatever it is gog dot com mm-hmm. just bought theme hospital just so that i can then use easily the data with the core 60 h open source game engine so people are still earning money from a game that was released how long ago yeah i don't really know i could look it up but like 
<laughs> so I, I, like, can't, 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 can't just think of like uh, theme hospital uh, uh, ninety eight exactly. or ninety seven, something like that. It's a really, really old game, and it's it's not the best example because nowadays it's not a super duper popular title. But my point is there that people will go out and buy it, and it will live on. And why don't you want your works to live on? If I was a developer, I would. Yeah. I'd want and people also, to be enjoying it on whatever system there is in 30, 40 years' time. Just open source your code. Even if you keep your assets as a purchase, just do it. Yeah. And open source is important anyway. And loads and loads and loads of companies are waking up to this. Look at Blender, for example. There has been, over the last two years, announcement after announcement of companies pledging their financial support to it. Yeah, makes sense. It's like, at this point, thanks to all of the like resources that have been put into it, it's like seemingly like one of the top-notch, you know, 3D kind of uh, modeling plus rigging plus whatever else it does. Like, it's seemingly like Blender is kind of like the Emacs of 3D graphics, where it does kind of everything a little bit. The Emacs of 3D graphics. I love it, because Emacs... See, This is going way off topic for a moment, but that's what this podcast is for. We're just chatting about stuff. Emacs is what? Some form of text editor at at a very basic level. Yeah, on on a most basic level, it's meant to like edit text. But it's got so many things in it that you can run pretty much anything with it nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, you know, you code it to kind of change it. You, You configure it through code so it can kind of do just about anything incredible yeah i i think like emacs is like kind of you know we're, we're going kind of on a tangent at this point but like i i on a, on some level i feel like emacs was kind of like the the realization of the open source kind of world the the, the ideal of the gnu project kind of you know you have this piece of software that you know you can just kind of like rip it, the innards out put your own innards in change anything you know, make it do whatever. I, I, Yeah. And so to put that onto the topic exactly, though, that is kind of Blender because Blender now does so many different things. And because it's open source, there's got a lot of different people working on it. And now companies are pledging money to it. You've got AMD, Adidas, NVIDIA, Ubisoft, Epic Games, Unity, Intel, Microsoft, Google, and the list just goes on for a while. It's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. But I mean, this is this is one of those things. Like it, it's probably like resource efficient to put money towards Blender because like they have been like doing such a good job making like a fantastic product that is, you know, at this point is like seriously like uh, world class. Like this is one of those cases where like an open source software su- uh, suite has has kind of you know um, become such a high standard product that it's effectively kind of, you know, making some of its competitors a little bit, like, uh, inefficient. Nervous, I would imagine, too. Yeah, probably also nervous, but, like, like from the point of view of people like, you know, um, AMD, Ubisoft, Epic, like, they can basically, you know, take Blender for any of their project and they can use it as much as they, like, want to because they don't obviously need to pay any, like, license fees or anything. Yeah, and you've got more and more developers using it for their games as well, like Egosoft, who make the X uh, Space Simulator series. 
they've even put out a video talking about how they were using Blender and how it's been sort of taking over more of their workflow. It's just nice to see an open source program doing so well. Mm. And open source is, again, very important. It can enable companies to come in and help with it. Like, look at AMD's graphics drivers on Linux. Look at how far they have come in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. And you have people being paid to work on them. Like, look at Valve. They've been employing people through contracts or whatever to improve AMD's open source drivers. They've done the ACO shader compiler, which as of the latest Mesa version is now the default, isn't it, for AMD's RADV Vulkan driver? I haven't actually looked. I think that sounds reasonable. Um, I should know this because I run the AMD uh, open source drivers, but like I haven't really been keeping up with my, my RADVs. Like, they generally just work these days so well that I just keep updating them every time there is an update, and uh, I just use them, and there aren't any issues. So, I mean, that, I, I guess that also goes to, sit, like, say something about the quality of the AMD drivers when you can just, you know, keep up upgrading them, like, ad nauseum and, uh, you know, seemingly no problems come up. You have to admit, though, I do get a little bit jealous at times about AMD drivers because you can just install an up-to-date Linux distribution with an AMD GPU and, you, and you're just ready. You can just yeah, go and install games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Now, the last topic that I had noted down for this first co-op episode is about something quite controversial. And me and you have very, I think, very opposing views on this as well. Yeah. Which is game streaming. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Every company seems to be jumping in on this now. You have... Google with Stadia, Microsoft with their, I'm not actually too sure what they intend to call it in the end, Project xCloud, but it seems like it's merging with Game Pass. You've got NVIDIA's GeForce Now, although GeForce Now does use probably one of the better business models for consumers because it uses games on various services that you already digitally own. It's more ethical, yeah. Yeah. Which is funny considering it's NVIDIA, but yeah. (laughs) Is is this where you slot in your rant about proprietary NVIDIA drivers? Well, I mean, proprietary software is always inferior to uh, open source software. So if a piece of software can be open source, it being open source is better than it not being open source. There you go. You heard it here first. (laughs) Yes, I'm a a radical. (laughs) Um, You've also, there, there is a brand new announcement, which is Amazon. Luna, they're throwing their controller onto the sofa. They're joining in, although theirs is going to be invite only for now and only in the US. Now, where's Valve? They're like probably one of the few. I reckon Valve will be one of the last to jump in to do a service like that. Typical of Valve. Yeah. Valve. Valve. Yeah, but it's... Valve do a lot of this wait and see, and then they tend to sort of jump in and often do it better. Sometimes. Or sometimes they, you know, do something better and then they just completely abandon it for no reason. Speaking of the the Steam controller, obviously. 
Ah, oh, it's it. There's a Steam controller sat on my desk right now. It's looking at me, and it's just really sad because I would really like a second generation of it. Mm. So it's it's funny actually thinking about game streaming and talking about Valve because I did make a note of this. There is a bug in the Steam client on Linux where if you have a lot of games installed, like me, I've got like thousands installed at a time. The <laughs> client itself can sometimes take three, four, five minutes to just even bring you the, oh, I'm loading now, you know, the little box it gives you to say the Steam client is now actually loading. Yeah. And there's been quite a few times where I've just gone, fuck it. I've clicked the Stadia bookmark and within 30 seconds I'm playing a game. Now, there's serious power in that ability to just jump in that quickly to something. Even if Stadia isn't doing comparatively very well, if it seems like a lot of people don't actually like it, if their business model isn't the best. But the point is with game streaming, it does open up those options and it can be can be very fast. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely like provides uh, a convenience to those who can take advantage of it. Obviously, game streaming uh, itself is kind of like uh, it divides people into the people who have good enough internet to take advantage of it and the people who don't. Um, for the people who can take advantage of it, it definitely brings a, a, a serious you know, convenience factor. Um, personally, I'm very much against this whole like game streaming thing. The, the only thing that I could like kind of get behind is something like Nvidia GeForce Now kind of system where you know it utilizes the games that you already own somewhere else and then you know like I using something like that I have nothing like I I don't oppose that kind of a system at all the main problem I have with these game streaming systems is that like you basically uh you take a little bit of convenience but you basically give up all control over your games to a company like Google who really likes to pull plugs for fun. That is a genuine concern. And I'm I'm quite a big user of Stadia, but that is always in the back of my mind. I'm sort of umming and ahhing between will will they ever drop it? They've dropped a lot of things, but then there's the other side like they have probably invested more money in this than most of the things they've dropped already by now, considering the cost it must take. Mm, but you know google constantly makes stupid decisions so like true can we trust them to be rational about this investment when they are so irrational about their other investments that they have already made that they're basically driving into the ground at this point um and One thing like, that i did think on only recently sort of twigged is that with microsoft having their own nvidia's got their own amazon is now going to have their own this cloud game streaming thing is going to be an expanding market. It clearly is. Mm -hmm. And it's probably where things are going to end up at some point. So Possibly. my That'd thought is, future. yeah, yeah, it would be if that is where everything goes. Mm. Now, the problem is that because it's an expanding market and because it's going to be quite a powerful market, even if they're not doing so well right now i think that is the reason that they'll stay in it they'll keep building it up i think so that they have their name there otherwise it's another huge market they get left behind in yeah that that seems fair which is 
when are we when are we gonna end up in the situation where we're now with like when we watch uh tv series and like movies like you ha- if you want to watch everything unless you pirate which we don't like advocate um you would you would need to have your hbo's you would need to have your netflixes you would need to have your disney pluses and you know all that stuff so at what point do you like do we do we start having the same problem where you know you have your stadia games and then you have your xcloud games and then you have your luna games and then you have like three like recurring uh monthly subscription fees or something that you have to incur yeah now that is one of the bigger worries with it isn't it because it's different when something goes say to an exclusive on a different store that's different because you can just go to that store and get the game whereas if it's this subscription model and it's streaming you've then again like netflix and amazon prime and so on you then have all these reoccurring subscriptions and it might only be to play like one game across those services it's going to add up to so much more money than just buying the individual games isn't it yeah but that's where they get people it's like it's it's the same with netflix and amazon you might only watch a couple shows but you're paying a vast amounts of money so again where is valve why do they not want this this money Mm. the problem is is how expensive I think it is to run across all these servers. Valve is basically a glorified content delivery network. Let's face it. Yeah. That, that's what they are. Being as nice as about that as I can. I had a point there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the problem when we have like these kind of rambly uh, things that we're, we're kind of like working off of a, uh, like a pretty like concise bullet point list. And, like, we don't obviously write these things down or script these things, so... Wait, I found a point. Okay. Valve has a lot of the tech there already. I've spoken about this in articles before, but spitting it out, putting it out loud. They've got a lot of the tech there. They've got all this in-home streaming stuff that they've gradually built up and then expanded to allow it from outside the home as well. Mm-hmm. I actually... Yeah, you can, you can, you can kind of, like, do the things that, like... Uh, like GeForce Now does, you can kind of like have that set up, but you have to host it yourself. So I guess there would be a relatively small jump. I mean, obviously, like big in like hardware costs for Valve, but like a like technology wise, a relatively small jump from your current like you host your games on your own PC and then you stream to other devices in either in your network or you know outside of your network. Uh, you know, from that to Valve hosts your games and you stream them from there. Yeah, because it's it's different worlds, isn't it? Really, when you think about it like that, going from a few wires around your home to then it's suddenly beaming from a server across the world. It's it's kind of amazing that it things like Stadia work as well as they do, though. When you think about how far some of this data has to go, it's a kind of it's a testament to human ingenuity and tech advances really the fact that you can press a button on a game that is being beamed to you from many miles away and hopefully you know within milliseconds it'll happen Mm. it's kind it's kind of amazing really i mean it's a it's a problem that you can kind of just solve by brute force you know you just make need to make sure that you have your your servers close enough to the player base so that there is always enough you know both uh, processing capacity and also that the processing capacity is close enough to your players so that the latency is small enough 
it's funny though because Valve has all this there, and I I picked up a Raspberry Pi four for my thirty second birthday back in July, and I hooked it all up using Ethernet. And I got really excited to do this in home streaming. I thought, ah, oh, I can finally at the end of the day done these articles, tested these games. I can do some games for me on my sofa downstairs, but still all on Linux, just beamed from my computer to downstairs. Mm. And the experience is, it was initially really good. And then it's got so many rough edges. It's very annoying. In home, This in-home streaming stuff is great when it works. So really, really great. But I want more from it. I want to see Valve do more with it. And I think, I think they will one day. Yeah, I mean, I imagine one of the problems is that like, in its current configuration, the the target market for that feature is pretty like niche. Like we're talking about people who have multiple computers in their home, uh, who like to not sit down at their like most powerful computer to play games, but want to instead go on the like sofa or want to go outside. One of the problems I've had, which I've kind of tried to use in home streaming for a little bit, is that summers get like ridiculously warm here these days. My room turns into basically a kettle and I have to sometimes escape outside um, and what I've sometimes done is I've taken my laptop outside and then I've like done a little bit of in-home streaming so I get like the higher frame rates and you know the higher performance yeah um, obviously the the Wi-Fi is a little bit of a tricky one so it's not been like the greatest experience but I can kind of make it work but like these are very specific like situations where like I imagine most people who are like, okay, it's too hot to sit like sit inside. I'm just going to go outside and not play video games. I feel like that's the more normy approach to this. And the people who are like, well, I am i can't sit inside and play video games. I'm going to go outside and play video games. I think that's kind of like a little bit too niche. So I'm that's probably also driving kind of the fact that it's a little bit rough right now because there aren't people like really investing in it and really using it to like kind of find those rough edges and like kind of smooth over them. They did expand their support of Steam's remote play. It's Yeah, that's it. It's called remote play now, isn't it? Not in-home streaming because they expanded it to outside and everything else. It's now Steam remote play. Yeah, probably. And they they updated it so that if you have it on, say, your Android phone, you can have it with like touchscreen controls and there's a few different ways to do it. It's, it's really cool. And so when you think about it like that, the amount of people that have their phones, it's probably, there's probably a lot more people than we think that would quite like to go outside in the cool breeze on a hot summer's day and still carry on playing the game. Mm. So I think if they really nail that down and then eventually push more and more, they could probably have a pretty good streaming service going. Yeah, I mean, but it it still would need to, like, that's still kind of targeting the niche that has, like, a decent computer at home. Um, yeah. And that they are, at the same time, they're willing to, like, make the... Like, obviously, playing games on the phone is, like, worse than playing them on the PC. So you would have to have the people who are willing to have their computer, their powerful computer at home powered on. Uh, the network connectivity needs to be good enough to stream the game uh, and at the same time, they need to be motivated enough to go outside and play on their phone for some reason. Yeah. And so that is why game streaming, especially for a company like Valve, has so many challenges. Yeah. I mean, for, for like people like uh, Google who you know operate stadias and stuff, you know, they can just target the, the people who only have a phone. Like they, they don't need to target the person who is a PC gamer, but they also want to maybe sometimes play on the phone. 
they can just target the casual players who are like, oh, I only have a phone, I can't play very, like, you know, uh, demanding games on this thing, but I can just stream them from Google. So, you know, that's a that's a way bigger market than the people who already have a decent gaming computer, but, you know, sometimes also want to stream something to their phone or something. Yeah, that is one of the advantages of the the Stadium model and what Amazon's going to be doing with Luna as well. And in fact, even NVIDIA's GeForce Now can do it as well. The fact that you can do it on your computer and then you can go and do it on your phone. I think Valve, if they don't do it, I think eventually they'll get a bit left behind. Personally, that's what I think. I I really wish that Valve would, uh, you know, enter this business because I, like, I don't like the business. Like, the whole game streaming thing, I think it, like, personally, it's, uh, I find it, revolting i would say um but uh valve's if if valve's business model is okay you already have your steam library but you can now also play them remotely i might even take advantage of that because i still have at least that little control that valve's like steam library gives me over those games so i could still mod them i could still take the data files out and use them on an open source engine i can you know do whatever i need to but like I can even play them offline. Um, I can still do that, but at the same time, I can get the like optional convenience feature of sometimes streaming that over from like Valve servers or something. Yeah, I mean, I would take that like that way over like something like Stadia, where it's only on Google services and you will never be able to touch the game data at all. Yeah, see, this is where valve have that in their corner if they were going to do something like this they've already got this almighty thirty thousand plus store full of games ready but perhaps they just don't have the server capacity for it yet if they were if they were to just roll something out like that 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 would be incredible but i mean it's it's worth keeping in mind that like steam still crashes like twice a year (laughs) Yeah. So imagine that you need to be able, like, they can't pull off like 100% uptime on Steam right now. Imagine if they also had to like run these games on servers. You know, you need you you need GPUs, you need a lot of CPU cores, you need a lot of RAM, you need these data centers all over the place populated, and yeah, it, it's it would be a massive challenge. Um, but I think at this point, like Valve could at least maybe to a limited degree do it. Maybe like start like kind of regionally and then expand out as you get more resource yeah that that seems like what amazon are doing with luna because they're they're starting off in the us stadia as well they're only available in a few countries i think even geforce now is locked down to specific countries as well they're all doing it like that but the future of gaming then is it in the cloud i certainly hope not yeah yeah because that is kind of frightening yeah, and like the the thing is, like uh, I kind of was looking at Stadia like around the early days, like kind of like uh, with a certain sense of optimism because you know, uh, stay at least with Stadia, you know, it's a Linux machine underneath. So I was kind of hoping that okay, maybe we'll get like some kind of uh, side bonuses through this. Maybe we'll get improved drivers. Maybe we will get like games ported first to Stadia and then to uh linux we haven't really seen that no at least yeah i think the only one that we might see is like the metro exodus thing but i'm not sure if that's happening and if it is 
when is it going to happen? I don't know. Um, but the thing that like kind of crushes that for me right now is that the, the biggest thing that I read personally about the Amazon Luna, like I don't care about the service. The main thing that I care about that thing is apparently it's just going to run like Windows executables, like straight, uh, straight like uh, out of the box. So developers don't even need to like port their titles anymore. Yeah, yeah, it was confirmed. It was some sort of Windows server malarkey going on there. Yeah. Which so, is a way that there, there's probably still some a few things developers will need to do, some sort of adjustments. Yes, um, just like you know, just like you have your uh, your your uh, Steam specific like achievements yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Stadia is the same. There's there's a few games that are on the Linux desktop that have gone to Stadia, and I've spoken to the developer, and they've said, yeah, it is really really close. But then you still have all of their store and service specific things, so it's not it's not a straight port anyway. Yeah, but, but it's a lot like. It's a lot like smoother when you already have like the Linux version running. You can kind of, you know, afterwards plug those things in. Yeah, because whereas... if it's already running on Linux and it's already running with Vulkan, then the port to Stadia, as Ethan Lee and Ryan Gordon, who port lots of games to various platforms, including Linux, have already said that it's really easy to get a Linux desktop game onto Stadia. Hmm. The problem is that Amazon Luna, since it uses Windows servers, they could build up their library so much quicker. Yeah, and we obviously get none of the benefits. As at, at least if you are like a person like me, who is very much like native or nothing kind of a guy, um, like Amazon Luna gets like it benefits me in no way, whereas Stadia might kind of sort of maybe benefit me in some indirect ways. Yeah. But like, at the, like, Personally, from like my my point of view, both of these are like bad for the consumer. Yeah, I agree. So, game streaming might be the future. We hope it isn't. Open source is really important, and game developers, once they move on to the next games, please open up your games codes. Just carry on selling the game for the assets, but open up the code. Talos Principle and Streets of Broke are amazing games. You should check them out. And Microsoft buying Zenimax, so they own Bethesda. It, it it doesn't really affect Linux gaming. If anyone says it does, well, they're wrong, basically. There's there's your summary. <laughs> uh, for next time, we've already had a bit of a chat. We're going to have a bit of a rant next time about Linux distributions, I believe, aren't we? Yeah, we weren't supposed to. Somebody said that we weren't supposed to do that, but then we were like, we don't obey your rules and we do our own thing. And we're going to talk about distros, even though we're not really that interested. <laughs> We're basically just being extremely petty. Well, it's an interesting topic nonetheless, because I'm sure we're both going to have some opposing views there on the amount of distributions and what they do and so on. So the next episode should be interesting enough. Yeah. So I hope you enjoyed our little rant there. We're going to do a few more rants here and there across co-op episodes. Just a nice, relaxing chat about various topics. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been your host, Liam. Thank you for joining me, Samzai. Yes, yes, thank you. And we will hopefully speak to you again soon. We're not giving you an exact date. It's just going to be as and when we decide to have a rant. Goodbye for now. Bye.